Well, if you have your Bibles, we'll be in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And we are looking at the signs of our lives, life signs, as we look at this sermon this morning and as we look at the Scripture. We are going to notice a couple of things. And I want us to understand a few perspectives as we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2. First of all is that Paul, the apostle who has written 2 Corinthians, uses more autobiography in this letter than in any other writing that he gives us. Any other time in Scripture, this letter, 2 Corinthians, We hear Paul telling the story of his life, sharing of what is occurring in his life. He, in fact, is also responding to some attacks that were being made toward him personally. He was being attacked for three primary reasons, and there were a few others, but we know at least these three. First of all, Uh, From chapter 10, we know that some were attacking his effectiveness. And they were wondering, how effective are you really being, Paul? Secondly, some were attacking his preaching skills, challenging his ability to communicate. And how effective was he? And thirdly, some were even erroneously charging that he was potentially misappropriating some of the money that was given to the church. Now, these all were attacks that had no merit, but still they were hurtful, and some chose probably to believe them. So Paul is writing a response in 2 Corinthians to the church of Corinth and to the churches throughout the providence If you have your Bibles, turn with me to chapter 2, beginning with verse 14. And incidentally, those charges are still with us today, aren't they? They're still excuses and still things that people will bring out today. Paul is speaking here to the church, and he says this to them, But thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ, and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of Him. Paul is painting a word picture here. And it's this. During that time when Rome was the predominant, and not just predominant, they were the dominating military force of the known world, and particularly of this area, many had seen the days and the times in which the armies would return and their generals and officers would come first into the city of Rome. And behind them and behind those officers would be the soldiers. And often behind them would be the spoils of the battle. Would be the captives. Some who would be made slaves others who would be executed before the crowds there at Rome, particularly those who were officers and those 
who were officials and royalty. So it was a very vivid picture that many had seen several times. This picture of the Roman army coming in with their spoils on their way toward the temple of Jupiter, which at that time was the Roman Empire's chief deity of the Greek gods that they would worship. So here would come these soldiers from the battle with their spoils behind them, with their captives behind them. And then there would be fires that would be lit and incense would be thrown into the fire and there would be this aroma that would fill the city. And some of the soldiers dreamed of that day when they would return home where they would be a part of the triumphal procession, where they would be a part of this parade, where the crowds would cheer them and sing praises to them, where the incense would be burned and that aroma would arouse their pride and their egos. They longed for that moment when they were in the battlefield. And Paul is painting the picture of what it looks like to follow Christ to the very end. The way that God looks at us and views us as followers of Christ, though we go through conflicts, though we go through troubles. Let's read that verse again. But thanks be to God who always leads us. It's not the general's. It's not the Caesar, but it's God Almighty who leads us in triumphal procession in Christ. And through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of Him. For we are to God the aroma of Christ. We are that incense. You want to know what makes God happy? You want to know what makes Him beam with pride? It's the aroma of the believer who follows Christ, who goes through challenges and difficulties and yet still believes and yet is faithful. We are the aroma of Christ. Among those who are being saved and those who are perishing, to the one we are the smell of death and to the other the fragrance of life. To some... It is the fragrance of death in that triumphal procession of the Roman army. When those prisoners smelled that aroma, they had probably heard the stories of what would occur. And that smell was the smell of death for them. For the soldiers, it was the smell of victory. For the captives, it was the smell of death. Paul is painting the picture here that the Gospel for some is the aroma of life. It is the hope and the grace of life. But for others who will choose to ignore, who will choose to antagonistically refuse Christ and refuse the Gospel, it is the smell of death. It is something that is repulsive. And we understand that. Today, some people are so repulsed just when the name of Jesus is mentioned. When the Gospel is heard, it is offensive to some. And to others, it is the smell and the breath of life. 
What a vivid picture Paul paints that is still quite applicable to today. Verse 17, Unlike so many, we do not peddle the Word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity like men sent from God. Paul is having to rebuke and he's having to educate the church of Corinth and the church throughout the providence that look, there are those who will try to come into the fellowship and they will try to manipulate you with another gospel. They'll try to manipulate you financially. They'll try to tell you that you need to give to them. But they are not under the authority of the church. They are not people that have been endorsed by the apostles. Recognize that there will be those who come and seek to deceive you and who simply are out for monetary gain and they are not under the accountability of the church itself. Chapter 3, verse 1, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? In some of our extra-biblical literature, we hear that there were men who would come into the church and maybe make a big donation and then bring a statue of themselves and, and give, uh, give information about the gift that they had given. So that was often done in the communities, and we even still sometimes do it today in our communities. But statues would be built, and then whatever they had given would be listed on that statue. It was kind of a sign of glory for them, so that when people walked in to that area, they would know Look what this person has done. Some were saying, look at our credentials. Look at the degrees that we have. Look at whom we have studied under. Listen to us. We're more skilled in speaking than Paul. We're more charismatic. And where is he anyway? Paul says, you know what? I nor you, we don't need a spiritual written resume. We don't need our Christian resume where we come and we say, look at all the classes I've attended. You know I know all the songs. I know all the books of the Bible in order. I've been a church member for a long time, and at my previous church, I was the head deacon. And we just move on and on through. And Paul's saying, you know what? I'm not interested in your church resume or your secular resume. This is what Paul tells the church of Corinth who have been under these attacks, those who have attacked his character in verse 2 of chapter 3. You yourselves are our letter. Your life is our letter. My life is the letter written on our hearts known and read by everybody. You show that you are a letter from Christ. The result of our ministry written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. Paul says here, look, you and I are the letters. What God has done in our lives, the way that He has changed us, the way that He has transformed us, that's the letter. That's the message. That's the sign. Look for the fruit of the Spirit. 
It's not what you say. It's who you are. It's what's demonstrated in your life. And many of you have been through difficult circumstances. You've been persecuted as I have been, said Paul. But that is a ministry in itself and God can redeem those times. That is the testimony. Verse 3, You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, the result of the work of the church here in Corinth, the result of the preaching, the result of the ministry, the result of the love that has been extended, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. This is probably a reference to the commandments that were written on stone. The law that was written on stone. And this in no way negates the law. In no way negates the commandments or the laws that were given by Moses. Particularly morally. But what he is saying here is, it doesn't matter as much that you know the law. That's good. But that's not the testimony. Nobody is going to come to Christ. Nobody is going to be transformed because you know a lot about the Scripture or because you know a lot of songs or because you know a lot about church life. This is the message that transforms a lost world. This is the message that transforms hearts, that draws people to Christ. It is the message that is written on the tablet of your heart. Psalms 7 makes a reference about having the words of God written in our heart. It is a picture here of what we live and the transformation that occurs. Not perfection, but that it makes an impact and changes our lives. Later on, Paul will describe in Galatians chapter 6, he says this, From this point on, let no one cause doubt about me, for I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus Christ. I bear on my body the marks of Christ. Paul had been beaten brutally several times. He had been scourged with whips. And so if you saw Paul on the road, you would notice the scars on his hands, on his arms, on his face. And when you saw him, you knew something had happened. This was a man of trouble, or at minimum, this was a man who had been misunderstood or this is a man who had been attacked and robbed. Something's happened in this man's life. Something traumatic has happened to him. You could see it by the scars. And if he were to have removed his cloak, you would have seen scars all over his back and his body. And Paul says, the branding and that brand mark that he's speaking of, that's the brand that was given to slaves. Like the Roman Empire had just captured those slaves and they were leading them in the parade. For those whom they would keep, they would brand somewhere noticeably on their body, either on their hand, often on their forehead, a place where whenever you saw them, you would know that they belonged to someone in the Roman Empire. So was the picture of Paul's life. So were the pictures of the scars that he wore. Many of you have scars from your life, and many of them, there were scars after you trusted Christ. And there are three things that we can say about scars that are pretty accurate and usually true. Number one is that they are personal. 
I've got a couple scars, and they are they happened because of things that happened in my life physically. Uh, a couple of surgeries, a couple of stupid teenage boy things, and I got some scars, and they'll always be with me, and they are unique, and I have a little story that goes behind them. If you're like me, you have some mental and emotional scars as well. We all have personalized scars. It's not a question if, it's a matter of when. And Paul allows his scars to be used by God. Secondly, we see that scars are typically and often permanent. Most of those scars that I have, they'll, they'll never go away. They simply heal to where I don't feel the pain for the most part from them. When I see them, I am reminded of pain. I am reminded of that experience. And they are permanent at least until I go to be with Christ. So God never promises that He will remove all the scars out of our life. Matter of fact, we know that through the stripes of Christ, through the scars of Christ, we have been healed. So does He heal the body through our scars. And thirdly, this, God wants to redeem our scars. He wants to redeem our pains. That's what happened with Paul. A man who set out to exterminate Christianity, to completely wipe it off the map, experiences God in such a radical way that he receives Christ and totally reverses his life to the point to where now he begins to proclaim Christ, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He makes that his life's ambition, his life's calling. And he receives multiple scars from it. He loses his friends, probably much of his family. He loses his position. He loses his income. And then he begins to lose physically as he is beaten time and time again, as he is rejected emotionally time and time again. But he redeems those scars. And he chooses to see them as the brand mark of Christ. What about you this morning? I'm certain that if you've been alive very long, you have scars in your life. And they can choose to be something that you hide and seek to pretend that they don't exist. Or you can ask God to use them. And you say, use them how? We're going to show you a picture of that here in just a moment. Some of the people you see will come from different backgrounds and different situations. There were two people who were going to be here today who had to cancel because of things that came up in their lives. One of them has an addiction to pornography or had an addiction to pornography. And now he, through God's strength and power, has overcome that and ministers to those and helps those who struggle with pornography. Another a lady in our church who went through an abortion and then experienced tremendous post-dramatic stress from that abortion. And she helps and ministers to those who have been through that experience. You'll see some who are right now dealing with cancer. You'll see others who've lost a child, but now are choosing to minister to others who've lost a child. You will see some who have dealt with addictions 
You'll see some who were agnostics and didn't believe in Christ or His claims that have chosen to follow Him. The question is not can He. The question is will we let Him redeem the painful experiences of our lives?